This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Acts 11. This is really a topical message, but not about Father's Day. Some application. Acts chapter 11, we'll read beginning in verse 19, down through verse 26. I'll give you a minute, because you may have done like me, and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenician, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. The last chapter 10 and first part of chapter 11 is all about how the gospel is going to Gentiles. These guys are speaking the word to no one except Jews because they weren't aware of all this. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. He was an apostolic representative. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is God's inspired, holy word. God's word for us today. So persecution after Stephen was martyred scattered these early believers from Jerusalem and they were in all the surrounding regions. All were preaching the gospel as they went. But most spoke to no one except the Jews. They didn't know that the, the gospel had been exploding among Gentiles. But some of them spoke to the Hellenists, Greek-speaking, non-Jewish people. And Luke says, the hand of the Lord was with them. The Lord was doing a work. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So according to God's plan, the gospel began to go to the nations early 
in the history of the church. It's, it's a defining moment for the church. And so the church leaders in Jerusalem sent Barnabas down. He saw, did you know you could see the grace of God? He saw the transforming effect of this message of Christ crucified and raised from the dead, the good news that there was forgiveness in Him. And they saw the effect this was having on people like it, it might have had in your life. And even non-Jewish people, Gentiles. It's powerful. And Barnabas was glad, man. We would have all liked Barnabas, verse 23. He was glad. He began to preach to them, encourage them. Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was just a happy guy, excited guy. He's filled with the Spirit. He's full of faith. He's a believer. He knows how to build others' faith in Christ. And he told them this. This is our main point today. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Many people joined the church. It started to grow, so he goes and gets Saul, who was in, in Tarsus. That would Later, we'll know him as the Apostle Paul. They, he brought him to Antioch. They spent a year there hanging out with the Apostle Paul for a year. They taught the church. It grew, of course. And so, the question came, who are these guys? What do we call them? They're, they're starting to look different. They, they have an identity of their own. It's a new group of people. They're not Jews. There are Jews there. They're they're not Greeks. There are Greeks there. But it's kind of a distinct group with a distinct identity. What do we call them? So they came up with Christians. We'll call them Christians. What is a Christian? Well, a Christian is a believer. It's a person that the hand of the Lord is with when someone preaches the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they respond in faith. They believe what they hear. They hear good news about Christ, and they turn to the Lord, and they're united to Him by faith. As Paul says it in Galatians 2, they no longer live, but Christ lives in them. And they're identified. That's their identity. They're identified by the name of Christ. That is their core identity. Their primary identity. Some were Jewish, some are from Phoenicia, some from Cyprus, some from Cyrene. They're, they're a diverse group from the very beginning. They're united together powerfully by the name of Jesus Christ. We should fight against any idea that we have another identity that is more significant than this identity that we are children of God in Christ. That's who I am. I am a Christian. I am known by the name Christian. Our, our union with Christ is deeper. New status. And as you begin to grow in Christ, you feel it. It makes a difference. So I want to talk about remaining faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose in light of the fact I am a Christian. That's what we are. And I, I want to do that by looking at the story 
line of the Bible. Hopefully this will impart a biblical worldview that will serve us all during these trying times. We can grasp what it means to be a Christian. We have to know who Jesus is. Okay? And to understand who Jesus is, we need this big framework. The whole story of the Bible, the the truth, the revelation the Bible is as a whole, a big picture. What does the Bible tell us about Jesus Christ? The Word made flesh for us and our salvation. Our glorious Lord who's come to renew creation. Who's come to renew humanity. That's where our hope is in trying times. As Kent just said so well. Who He is tells us who we are. And it's just the thing right now. So we're going to look at the biblical storyline broken up in four parts that most people would always look at when they talk about biblical theology. Number one, creation. Number two, fall. Number three, redemption. And number four, the kingdom of God. So number one, creation. It is difficult to overestimate the importance of the doctrine of creation to the story that the Bible tells. Without creation, there's no understanding of the Christian faith as the Bible describes it. And that's why Christians fight to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not an important. Scripture presents God as the uncreated, the independent, the self existent, the self-sufficient, the all-powerful Lord who created the world, governs the world. He's the only one. There's no one like Him. The people in Acts that it is said, Luke said, they, people were saying, these Christians, they've turned the world upside down. Here's what was fundamental to their message. Acts 17, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed you or me or anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That's the message. This is the distinction made in the Bible between the Creator and the creature, me and you. God alone is God. All else is is creation. He is categorically different from everything He has made. All of creation depends on Him for everything, for existent. God alone is self-existent. That's the biblical message. There's, there's no other being like Him. He is the Lord of creation. He gives meaning and significance to creation. All that happens comes by the design of the Holy Creator and Lord of creation. He reveals, He interprets His works in Scripture. That's the way we know. That's why the Bible is so important to us for God's people. Creation in Genesis 1 and following begins an entire drama, and it drives all of history. There's an end designed by God, if you get the biblical picture. Things are not now what they were. Things are not now what they will be. Creation, history is going somewhere. God spoke 
his creation into existence. He looked at it and he said, what? Very good. And he started building his kingdom from the very beginning. And his rule involves his relationship with creation and mankind is at the center of it. We have a unique relationship with him. He makes the rules for our existence. The focus of the kingdom of God is on that relationship. Man is subject to God, and the rest of creation is subject to man. It's foundational to a biblical worldview. He is transcendent. He is all-surpassing. He's above. He's unique, but he's also imminent. That means he's fully present in his world. He is intimately involved with his creatures. He sustains them. He governs all things to to an end that he is going to towards. All history is going towards this. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's hard to be more specific or clear. He rules perfectly. He rules personally. He establishes relationships, agreements, covenants with his people. And he works in and through his people. He works in and through his church, you. Now, most people I know want to do something to help when they feel Things are not going well. As one person said it to to me this week, our country is a dumpster fire. Now, I'm not sure I agree with that, but that's how that person felt. It does seem that way. I can see why we're tempted. There's Things are wrong and we want to do something. Things are difficult. We want to change the world. A friend... A member of our church is very involved in mission, sent me an email this week, and the leader of, that, of one of the ministries he works with had a really good letter and talking about all that's going on and really world-focused, not America-focused. And in part of the email, he said minimalist or maximalist, Bolsonaro, which is a Brazilian political leader, and Trump, he's president of the United States, yeah, it was a joke. Or CNN, Blizzard, Winter, or Ice Age. There are two billion. So all this is going on, all the noise in the background. There are still billions who've never met Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is still our marching orders from Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is still Lord and King. There's still plenty of work to do. The clock is still ticking. And then he just listed all the things that folks in their missions organization we're doing. It was very inspiring. And I would just like to say the church is a missions organization. You want to be a missionary? Good. We are a missions organization. The Great Commission was given to the church. We want to find out what God is doing and fling ourselves into. There's nothing better than the local church. 
God is at work. It's a great time to be the church, to have the good news. The world is becoming increasingly dark. They don't have the answers. And God has a plan and He works through His people. Our main point today, let's remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Amen? Wednesday night prayer night was so encouraging because there were so many folks that, in, that were involved. And I just say, Lord, you're working through your church. Okay, turn over to Genesis chapter 3 and let's talk about the fall. The fall. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, verse 1, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And there's really interesting how temptation works and how God's Word is being misquoted. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. For the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Trust me, the Lord knew where he was. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. After Genesis 3, the world and the people in it are no longer very good. If you read the Bible, no one can honestly examine human history or even human life and fail to conclude we have a problem. We have missed the mark in some way. There are different explanations for that. This is the Bible's. 
The Bible explains the problem that we're all very aware of, the dumpster fire with the history of Adam and the fall. Everything changes in the Bible with the immoral act of man who was created very good. Adam willfully rebelled against his Creator and Lord. He was dissatisfied with his role. He fell to Satan's temptation to rule without God, becoming like God, knowing good and evil. No, it wasn't the woman that God gave Adam. Adam bears full responsibility. Once sin entered the garden, it just started expanding. Because Adam was man's representative. All of creation, all of mankind are affected. God appointed Adam to stand on our behalf. Romans 5.12, Paul says it like this, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's the story of the Bible. Adam was created in the image of God. He's called the Son of God in the Bible because he was created especially to be like the eternal Son of God. He was created to enjoy an eternal loving relationship with God the Father. Adam was created to know that love. And every father in here on Father's Day, let me just remind you, your role is to image that. But all of this was lost when Adam sinned. He, he listened to Satan, and when he did that, he was no longer like Christ. He was no longer like the Son of God. He doubted God's goodness and kindness. He was no longer a faithful son, but he is our natural identity. He became the father of a race that would be like him because of his sin. It affects everyone. Because of Adam, we sin. Because of Adam, we die. Michael Reeves is a theologian, wrote a book, Rejoicing in Christ. He said this in that book. Am I not the master of my fate, the captain of my soul? Do I not determine my own destiny? It's hard to hear this in a culture so soused in Hollywood goo, but no. We've all been born into a problem that goes back to before we did anything. Before we even existed. We've all been born of Adam. In his likeness, of his family, sharing his sinful identity. Instead of being sinners because we eat sin, we were born sinners. And that's why we sin and die. We're just acting out who we are. And he says, hold on through this dark bit. The light shines so much brighter because of it. And I would encourage you to do that today. The original sin of Adam as our representative has corrupted the entire human race. Even by Genesis chapter 6, we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Mankind can't fix this. We need to humble ourselves. The problem is sin. It's, it's, it's a corruption of thoughts, of desires. Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is our problem today. This is the problem according to the Bible. It's the problem is deeper than we realize. Some way I want to say to all of us, you think it's bad, it's actually worse than you think. You know, this is the doctrine, the biblical teaching about sin. And it really changed Sherry and I in our marriage and in our parenting. So on Father's Day, this is a little side note for you, a little application of the doctrine of sin. It changed my marriage. Sherry's famous in our family for saying, I have more trouble with Sherry Kittrell than anyone I know. I told that to Ray Ortland. He said, that's gospel-centered communication. So I'm, I'm regularly saying, I have more trouble with Sherry Kittrell than anyone I know. <laughs> but change the way we parent it. Instead of focusing on agape land, I think we have a picture of, is it not working today? Do we have it? Okay, it's not coming up here. This is uh, Floyd Frog, I think. If those of you who remember Agape Land, that's how we used to parent. You know, you'd learn, okay, love is good, and kindness is good. And so when you're unkind, you say, try to be kind, and try to be loving. And it just doesn't work, does it? It's, behavior is a vignette. Words can be a vignette, a window into the heart. But Floyd's not going to be able to help us at the end of the day. We've got to have a heart change. We have to be born again. Recently, Sherry and I were babysitting our grandchildren, and the kids were playing on the neighbor's swing set, which only has one slide. I think neighbors should have two slides. Both the three-year-olds were going down the slide, which is going to cause a problem. One does something, the other wants to do it. At one point, there was the inevitable conflict and allegedly, one three-year-old pushed the other, and words were exchanged, and grandfather called a conference. They came over, there were angry faces and accusations. One said, he pushed me. And the other, I can't really understand him very well. He said something, I, I think, she's a stinking liar, something to that effect. So I explained how important it was to love our neighbor, to be unselfish, think of the other person. It's such a nice evening. Grandfather's enjoying his wilderness recliner. You're really bringing the monk down here, kind of changing the vibe. Can we have a nice evening and just get along? They both are looking at me like I'm, I'm one of those adults in the Peanuts cartoon. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, absolutely no communication going on. Nothing's changed. As soon as I release them, they turn around and fight for the slide, man! The, the point is, it affects how we parent when we understand how deep the problem is. doesn't mean we don't point out behavior, but we just connect it. This is why we behave like this. This is why we talk like this. We're sinners. 
We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It applies to our culture, doesn't it? You're not going to find anybody today, a cultural analyst, who's going to talk about the doctrine of sin. But it's the truth. They're not going to take it serious. Even religious people, they'll come up with a social gospel. But it's like trying to tell my three-year-old grandchildren, be nice. Because of original sin, all humanity is, is corrupted. Man was supposed to rule. Adam was a representative. He failed. And now the world is filled with immoral rulers of creation. And there's a problem because God can't live with sinful humanity. And sinful humanity can't fulfill His plan. And He has a plan. He has a plan for a people in a, in a creation, a perfect place for everything. A glorious place. But sinful man can't fulfill that purpose and he's holy, he's righteous, he's just. And he has to punish the immoral rulers of his creation. The wages of sin have been death from the very beginning. And we see that all through the pages of, of Scripture. So we have this problem. God has to judge and punish human sin. And there's a tension. Forgiveness is a problem. But it's, it's a problem that the Bible solves with redemption. Number three. Part three. How can the Creator and Lord forgive sinful humanity when His perfection requires punishment? How can He take the initiative to save and, and at the same time uphold His justice? How can He redeem His creation? He will take initiative. He will accomplish Now That's the message of the Bible. It's the key message of the Bible. He will do this. He didn't come up with a second plan. It's been His plan all along. It's been unfolding from Genesis 1. He has a, a plan to unite all things in heaven and earth for a reason. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Don't worry, He has a plan. Be encouraged. And it was immediately after Adam failed. If you remember back in Genesis 3, that the Lord demonstrated He's committed to this. Genesis 3.15 is often called the first gospel. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you'll bruise His heel. God promised that someone out of the human race, the, the seed of a woman, the woman's offspring, 
Although he'd be fatally wounded in the process, he would destroy the serpent, Satan. That's the Gospel. The dominion of our original representative was lost. All humanity creation was corrupted because of the, the rebellion of Adam. But this all took place according to God's plan. His plan was for another Adam. The promised offspring of this woman. An Adam that would be faithful and obedient where the first Adam wasn't. God's not going to allow His creation to be lost. He has a plan of redemption. Throughout Scripture, you just, you just hear this statement that God will save. God will redeem. Isaiah 43, I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. There's no hope besides the Lord. Psalm 3, verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. The Bible doesn't allow for any creature to do the work of redemption. No creature is going to rescue sinful humanity. It's going to be the Lord. He Himself is going to deliver a people from His own wrath and satisfy the requirements of His holiness, of His righteousness, of His justice. But according to Scripture, redemption is going to come through a man. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. You know those verses. Ezekiel 34, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Hundreds of years before Christ came. And He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, I the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. The Bible allows no other plan. A man will redeem humanity and, and restore creation. God's creation rule. This one man's death for many will secure God's forgiveness of their sins and bring them into God's kingdom. Shapes the whole story of the Bible. Listen to John 1.1 in his Gospel. The, the Apostle John begins this, this way, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is the Gospel of John. All things were made through Him. He's the Creator. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Sounds like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's intentional. That's intentional. The same one that went out into the void when there was nothing and created is this one that now is the Word. 
and has come and there's a new creation underway. That's the biblical story. The Savior was the Word. The first Adam is our natural identity. He became of the father of a race like him. Romans 5 says it like this, Through him sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. Many died by the trespass of the one man. By the trespass of the one man, death reigned. One trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people through the disobedience of the one man. The many were made sinners. That's the first Adam. Michael Reeves again, he says this, It's as if humankind was a portrait of Christ, drawn in His likeness, now horribly defaced by sin. But then Christ returns to have His portrait redrawn and renewed. Not to commission an entirely new piece of work, but to renovate that original. The image of God would come to show us what it means to be in the image of God and to remold us into what we were created to be. I know that's a lot. But that's the message of the Bible. And it makes sense as you read through it. That's what's happening today. Because of the first Adam, we sin. Because of the first Adam, we die. We were born ruined. But in fact, Christ has come. And He's the second Adam. In Adam, all die. But in Christ, all are made alive. Paul talks and writes, and the Bible teaches and reveals. It's, it's as if Adam and Christ are the only men in history. And what matters is, is which Adam you are in. That's what matters. Our culture, we value individualism. So it's hard to think we really have any unity with Adam. It sounds unfair, doesn't it, in the 21st century? Why should I suffer because of what he did? And so the idea, you know, I just need a little grace. I'm not really ruined. I wasn't born already ruined. It's hard for us, but that's the view of Scripture. Our problem is a deep problem. It's not that we've just failed to be good enough and need a little forgiveness. We can't just try harder. We can't just try to be more moral. It, it, it doesn't work. Our very identity is a problem. We were born of Adam. That's the problem. And there's, there's no hope in trying harder or being more moral. Our only hope is to be taken out of Adam's old humanity and to be born again into a new humanity and be a new creation. Jesus is the head of a new Spirit-filled humanity. If you identify, if you say, I am a Christian, that's who you are. You are in Christ and you share the Spirit of Christ with Him. 
You, you just can't make this up. Can you? I just want to pause a minute and offer you the Gospel. Some of you are not a Christian. And I think you're listening. Maybe you're listening by, by a live stream. Maybe you're here this morning. Listen, I have to think the Lord wants to offer you the Gospel. You've read that wonderful account in the book of Acts. And just how the Lord's hand was with people and they changed. They weren't believers, but they came into the room. They were watching TV. It's a joke. They didn't have TVs in the first century. <laughs> and the hand of the Lord was with them and they believed. They didn't believe, but then they believed. And it changed their lives. I just I want to allow the Holy Spirit just to have a minute to, to change you, to be with you. Jesus Christ is alive. He was raised from the dead. He lived a perfect life. He came and did everything the first Adam failed to do. He kept the law of God. He was the only righteous man, only innocent man but he was executed. He died on a cross. He satisfied the wrath of God that sinners deserved, that you and I deserved. I believe that. I preach that to myself almost every day. That's my only hope with God. I trust in Christ alone for salvation. That's faith. And God raised him from the dead for our justification. He was justified, innocent man, didn't deserve to die, paid the price for our sins. God raised him for our justification. The death he died wasn't the death he deserved. It was the death I deserved. And I'm justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, we offer you that gospel. May the hand of the Lord be with you. May you believe that. And if you do, call us. Talk to somebody today. Call the 800 number on your screen. Now, we don't have an 800 number. But may the Lord be with you. And may you be a believer. Finally, the kingdom of God, number four. When Jesus came, the kingdom was started it's already but not yet there's this age and the age to come okay and the age to come sounds all in the future but it's actually already come it was inaugurated when christ was raised from the dead he's poured out his spirit the spirit's a guarantee god the holy spirit is present today with us it's self-authenticating what i'm saying to you so those of you who are believers and are full of the Spirit, you want to say amen. You're just afraid to say amen. Amen. Thank you. But the age to come is already here. The kingdom has come. It's been inaugurated. And He will come again. And that kingdom 
will be consummated. So we should remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Amen? It's easy to think I am what I do simply because I, I put so many hours into what I do, and so do you, and all the responsibilities we have. It's easy to think of myself as successful or unsuccessful, or popular or unpopular, based on how life is going. When we aren't defined by Christ in our thinking, we're fragile, aren't we? When Christians define themselves by something other than Christ, it has a poisonous effect on their soul, on everyone around them. It's ugly. The foundation for our Christian life is our unity with Him. It's who we are. And we want to fight for this. And when we do, it'll mean fellowship with God in Christ and with others and true joy. This is what He's come to share with us. I am a Christian. Amen. Let me ask the worship team to come. Josh, I want to sing, I think it's the second song. I wouldn't do this to Zach because, you know, I wouldn't want to get him all stirred up, but you can do this. I know you can do this. What's, what was it? Now. Yeah, was that it? I was really digging it. So, which one was it? No. Not without a mask on. <laughs> it's like the second or third one. That's it. Okay. So please stand. We're going to return to singing, and, and I want to just pray for us. I, I just felt like this song, maybe it's just me, but my prayer is that it would just reinforce these truths that the Bible revealed to us and we can celebrate this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for the Savior. We are so grateful, Lord, that you have given many of us faith to trust in Christ. And Father, I pray for everyone that's not a believer. I pray, Father, that they would be born again, regenerated. Give them the gift of faith. And Lord, we do pray for our troubled times and we pray for revival and reformation of society, Lord. Let the powerful gospel change not only individual lives, Lord, but let it change the world. Lord, let it turn the world upside down, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.